Before I uh, uh, read scripture this morning, I uh, do have to pause and do the like personnel. There are some personnel changes um, as part of the life of our church. Um, and actually, uh, it is uh, two wonderful and joyful things of people who are part of our ministry team um, growing um, in uh, their ministry. Uh, first up, I, I know uh, so those of y'all who were here last Sunday saw Ken's wonderful video that he put together about Emily's commissioning. Um, Emily Larson is no longer just Emily Larson. She is now Pastor Emily Larson. Uh, yes, uh, she was uh, commissioned by the Texas Annual Conference um, about 10 days ago, um, a week ago Tuesday, uh, and so is now um, a commissioned deacon. And so she is, uh, we are now no longer um, a, a church with one pastor. We are now a church uh, uh, with two pastors. And so it turns out that Emily's responsibilities will look a lot like they were before uh, because part of how uh, she was, she made it kind of came through the ministry process is the Board of Ordain Ministry looked at the work that she has been doing here for the past three years and said, yes, this is saw in that work and in the, her lifetime of service to God of, yes, uh, this is clearly a woman uh, called uh, to the ordained ministry. So she is now uh, Pastor Emily. You will look around and you'll go, well, life around here hasn't changed. You go, yes, exactly. She's been doing the work of a pastor for three years here. Uh, we now have the opportunity to fully recognize um, that she is now uh, not our program director. She is now our associate pastor uh, for Christian community. Um, again, operationally, it doesn't change, but it is a recognition of what Emily has been doing and how God has richly blessed her. And so when you see Emily, she's in with the youth right now doing what she always does. Uh, but if you see her this morning and have not had the opportunity to congratulate her, uh, definitely uh, congratulate her. Uh, someone else uh, moving up um, in uh, their ministry um, is our dear sister, uh, Brandy Dudley. Um, she had, yes. Uh, so, uh, Brandy got a call from the district superintendent uh, this past week, um, inviting her uh, to uh, continue her work uh, here at Grace, uh, continue her work um, at Springfield UMC, uh, but also to add a uh, St. Paul's UMC here in Palestine onto her list of responsibilities. And so she will be out there every second um, and third Sunday. Uh, those of you who come at 11 won't notice a difference because she will also then be uh, right back in her normal seat as our digital minister at the 11 o'clock service. Uh, but she uh, has gone from, has been diligently serving Grace for many years, uh, for two years has been diligently serving Grace and Springfield, um, and now she will get to move up to serve three churches. And I say this in part because I want to celebrate uh, what is happening in the lives of, of these folks that are, are part of our congregation, but I also see it as a testimony to what God is doing here that God is moving and working in this church and calling tremendous and talented leaders uh, to be a part of what's happening. One of the ways that people look at how the church is doing is it, it's what's going on with the lead pastor. Um, who's the schmuck that's up front? To which I say, that is not a good metric. I'm here. Hi, friends. But to me, what I often look for of how a church is doing is how is God moving in the lives of the folks who are part of it? How is God calling? How is a God equipping leaders for this church? And what we're seeing um, in both Brandy um, and in Emily um, is uh, God is doing tremendous things. Last year, uh, or two years ago, we got to uh, you know uh, pray over Scott as Scott uh, began his life as a licensed local pastor. Uh, now this year we have um, a commissioned deacon um, and a certified lay minister uh, doing tremendous things. Uh, if you are want to continue to celebrate Brandy's ministry, I didn't warn her about this before, but she heard it first service. Uh, we will be praying over her ministry um, at uh, St. Paul's on the first Sunday, second service, first Sunday in July. Um, so we will uh, 
as we did for Scott two years ago, uh, we will do uh, for Brandy as she will start there on the second Sunday in July. But again, at 11 o'clock, you may not notice a difference, uh, but Brandy is certainly growing and we are tremendously blessed to have her ministry and to have Emily's ministry as part of this church. Yes, absolutely. With all of that said, now you understand why uh, first service ran 15 minutes over for those of you who showed up in your normal time. Um, there's a lot going on, friends. It's wonderful. Um, our scripture reading this morning is from uh, the Gospel according to Mark, uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 13 through 22. Jesus went out beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he, walked, as he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at, the, sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at, at, at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but, when, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skin, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But no one, but, but excuse me, but one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Say, is God's good word for us, God's beloved people? Thanks be to God. Amen. So, I opened this morning with the uh, kind of Brit Lit classic um, Meditation 17 by John Donne. It is certainly one of my favorite poems. Um, if there's anyone in the room uh, who hasn't yet had to take Brit Lit, uh, pay attention. Uh, this uh, will help you someday. I will read uh, the first stanza and the third stanza. Perchance... He for whom this bell tolls may be so ill as that he knows not it tolls for him. And perchance I may think myself so much better than I am as that they who are about me and see my state may have caused it to toll for me. And I know not that. The church is Catholic, universal. So are all her actions. All that she does belongs to all. When she baptizes a child, that action concerns me. For that child is thereby connected to the head, which is my head too, and engrafted into that body whereof I am a member. And when she buries a man, that action concerns me. All mankind is of one author and is one volume. When one man dies, one chapter is not torn out of the book, but translated into a better language. And every chapter must be so translated. 
God employs several translators. Some pieces are translated by age, some by sickness, some by war, some by justice. But God's hand is in every translation, and his hand shall bind up all our scattered leaves for that library where every book shall lie open to one another. As therefore the bell that rings to a sermon calls not upon the preacher only, but upon the congregation to come. So this bell that calls us, but how much more me, who am brought near, brought no, so near to the door by this sickness. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, and as well as if a manner, manner of thy friends or thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send, never send a no for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. We are fundamentally a part of one body. We are part of one body that is the church. We are part of one body that is the body of Christ. We are part of one body that has Christ as its head. And so we are all connected together. All of humankind is connected together. We share in the joys and suffering and all of it with each other because we are all children of God. We are all made in God's image. We all bear the mark of our creator. And therefore, we are all fundamentally connected to each other and have always been meant, have always been meant that way. So when the bell tolls for any, it tolls for us. When any dies, we are the worse for it. When any are baptized, we are the better for it because we are fundamentally connected. But I'm willing to bet that if you asked Levi at the start of our story, is he connected to all of mankind? Is he connected to all of God's people? Does he share in the joy and the concern, the ups and the downs of being a child of God, welcomed in the heart of God's people? Levi would tell you, absolutely not. But you see, as Levi sat in his tax booth as Jesus is preaching there on the hillside, Levi is a fundamentally rejected member of God's people. He would have been absolutely rejected and pushed away by mainstream, the mainstream religion of his day uh, for a couple of reasons, all of them related to the fact that he was a tax collector. Now, probably when you or I hear the phrase tax collector, we think, man, I don't like paying taxes. Don't raise your hand. No one likes paying taxes. It's okay. Uh, we may like some of the things that taxes do. We may hate some of the things that taxes do, but probably no one likes paying them, even if you love what they do. But when you imagine a tax collector in the modern day, it is probably, you know, some bureaucrat in a wrinkled suit uh, whose phone rings constantly and they never seem to answer it. At least that's my experience with the IRS. 
That is not what a tax collector was 2,000 years ago. A tax collector was not an annoying nuisance or the representation of something you don't like. Uh, the tax collector was an absolute fundamental social reject because A, they were criminals. They were fraudsters. They ripped people off. That's how they made their living. What they did is they didn't just collect the taxes that they were required to pay for Rome. They collected the taxes that they needed to pay to Rome and then a certain amount extra that they decided and they kept that for themselves, right? The tax collectors made their money by committing what I believe in the modern sense would be called tax fraud. And everyone knew they were getting ripped off, but if they didn't pay the tax collector, Roman soldiers showed up and sliced you up, and so you were kind of stuck. You had to pay the tax man, and the tax man was ripping you off, and there was nothing you could do about it. So no one likes being defrauded. Everyone knew they were being defrauded. And so they hated tax collectors for that reason. The other reason why they hated tax collectors is who did the tax collectors work for? The Roman Empire. Who was the Roman Empire? We talk about this a lot, friends. The evil empire. They're Darth Vader and the stormtroopers. They are, you know, whatever. Picture, whatever. Picture your image of the, when I say the evil empire. That's Rome. They are the people who should not be there, who came in by military force, and who maintain their power with an iron fist. And they're the ones keeping God's righteous king off of the throne. So, they were fraudsters and criminals, and they were traitors to the people. And so when you see the word tax collector... They would not have been welcomed in polite society. They would not have been welcomed to the dinner parties and the after-church luncheons and the house of worship. They would have been considered unclean, unassociatable. It was them and lepers and prostitutes all on about the same level. And so Levi would not feel connected to his community. He would have been absolutely rejected by his community. This is a fraudster and a traitor and thus religiously unclean. Pharisees would not have come to visit him. Pharisees may not have even looked at him in the eye. Did he interact with his community? Yeah, often as he made them pay their taxes. But even as, they did, even as he interacted with the members of his community, he would have felt the hatred in their eyes. Was he rich? Yeah, he probably was. But he was rejected, forced outside of his society. So it's a really big deal when Jesus shows up and says, Levi, will you follow me? Levi, I welcome you into my family. Come with me. No other religious person would have ever said that to him before. It was a radical change. You can hear how weird the Pharisees think this is in verse, what I think is verse 16. I am right. It is verse 16. 
When the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said to his disciples, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Like, they are fundamentally baffled by the fact that Jesus eats with sinners who were not like, oh, we're all sinners, but like a socially rejected category, and eats with tax collectors because they were also socially rejected. But instead of socially rejecting them, Jesus goes up to a tax collector sitting in his tax booth saying, will you follow me? And then has a party at his house the ver that very night with other sinners and other tax collectors and other people who had been completely rejected by Judean society and the religion of the day. The radical nature of this is lost on us because we think of ourselves all as sinners and we think of taxes as something annoying. This is a fundamentally radical act that takes a person from way outside and puts them right in the middle. Now, this Levi goes by another name. He's also sometimes called Matthew. And yes, that Matthew. The Matthew that goes on to become a disciple of Jesus, one of the 12, that travels with them and sees the miracles and is a witness to the resurrection and is a witness to the Great Commissioning and would be there in the room at Pentecost. That Matthew. And that Matthew that at least historically or traditionally, we believe, goes on to write the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew. And it's particularly interesting to me that I know one thing that's special about the Gospel of Matthew? It is the only gospel that talks about the church, that uses the word church, that uses the word ecclesia. Because maybe Matthew's experience of being rejected and then brought inside was something he wanted other people to know about that the other gospel writers didn't care about, right? Uh, John and Mark uh, were Jews in good standing. Luke grew up in a Christian household, never knowing what it was to be rejected and moved to the inside. But Matthew did. Matthew sat there, Matthew, Levi, sat there in his tax booth year after year, feeling the hatred of his people wash over him. And then knew the joy of being taken from the outside and moved right into the center. One of the things that God's power, that God's grace does, it means that no one needs to sit outside the family feeling rejected, that all can be moved into the center and experience the joy that comes in journeying together with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But the scripture gets at something else that's fundamental about what it is to be God's people. And that is, we have access to a joy that produces new life. That what this is, is a really happy party that we, are all get, we all get to attend. We do not have to sit in our tax booths and be sad. We can be a part of the party and party on with everyone else. That's what's happening in the second half of the scripture where the, where the people look around and go, uh, John's disciples, they're like fasting and sad a lot. And the disciples, the Pharisees, they're fasting and sad a lot. And Jesus, your people aren't sad. What's up with that, Jesus? Uh, to which Jesus responds, starting in verse 19, Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. 
The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old cloak, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, I think. I have no idea how cloth works. You tell me if that's real. Uh, the new from the old, and at worst, tear is made. No idea. You're absolutely right, Jesus. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, as well we know. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and that's terrible, and the wine is lost. And so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. This is a joyful place where the bridegroom is present. This is a place where new life and new things are possible because we have the presence of God with us, because Christ died on a cross for us, because of that we have this opportunity for new and vibrant existence that is meant to be joyful. Again, we do not have to sit outside in our tax booths, rejected. We can come inside, be loved, experience Christ's presence, be the new wine in new wineskins, and feel that vibrant new life. It was really important that Matthew not be alone, but have people to share that joy and that new life with. And as it is with us, important that we do not sit out on the sidelines alone, but instead we understand that the way God made us, the way God moves in the world is that we cannot do life alone. We hold that as a value of the church because it is, we are made to share in the party, to share in this community, to share in new life together. And so if you just show up on Sunday morning for an hour, sit, punch your religious card for the week, and walk out making, without making eye contact with people, you are missing one of the fundamental parts of the religious experience, which is sharing in your faith together. You know, the Methodist church did not start out as a church. It started out as a movement, largely based around small groups. John Wesley looked at the state of, you know, religion in 18th century England and went, man, a lot of people are showing up to church and a lot of people aren't getting much out of it. And so he traveled the country, yeah, preaching, but organizing people into life-giving small groups so they could share in that life together so they didn't feel like the Matthew sitting in their tax booth and instead felt a part of something where they are sharing in that new life together. And so my first challenge to y'all this morning is if you are not connected to something else beyond Sunday morning, whether it is a small group or a Sunday school class or a theology on tap or a praise band or a youth group or a whatever, find it. Because we are not meant to do life alone. We are not meant for our faith life to consist of one hour a week where you sit and then when it's meet and greet time, you stare inside your purse so that no one makes eye contact with you. Or you look like you have a really important text and then go to the bathroom when it's shake your hand time. It's a great way to not have to shake anyone's hand, but that's also not the point. We are not meant to do life alone. No one of us is an island we are not meant to feel that way either. We are meant to be connected, sharing in the new life that is possible because the bridegroom is present. My other challenge to us this morning is if you are a part and I look out and I know a lot of y'all or I see some of y'all in the couple of small groups that I lead, I know a lot of y'all are connected in that way. Great, invite other people to the party, be the party. 
that if you're already connected, that you know you're on an island, praise God, I'm so happy about that. Emily has poured three years of her life into making sure that you have these opportunities. Great. Invite other people. Look in your life. Look in your world for the Matthews, for the Levi's, who feel like they are sitting in their tax booth, rejected and alone. And do what Christ did. Invite them in to the center. Because none of us can do life alone. And no one should feel like they have to. Find those opportunities for yourself. We have one almost every day of the week on purpose. If the one you're looking for doesn't exist yet, let us know. We will make another one. That is literally Emily's job. It's why we have a Pastor Emily who oversees Christian community. And if you see someone feeling alone, feeling rejected, welcome them into the center because none of us can do life alone. The people around you form one united body in Christ for that is indeed what we hope. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. No one needs sit outside in their tax booth. We all are connected to the body of Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Don't be Amen. Sorry.